Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Huawei has been holding its annual developer conference in China, where the company has been detailing a number of things, including what its customers can expect from its Android skin, EMUI 10, and perhaps more importantly, in terms of the bigger picture, its plan B if Google is forced to stop Huawei using Android in the future. Dan joins me to discuss Harmony OS and more in a moment. Meanwhile, Rick has traveled to the US to interview Anthony Nicholson, senior producer of Gearbox Software, about the company's latest game, Borderlands 3, and how the games industry is changing. And Mike tells us his top three 5G phones if you're looking to embrace the new 5G networks available in the UK and the US. So Dan, back to you. Tell us more about what Huawei has announced. Well, firstly, um, it's announced a new OS, basically, for um, various devices called Harmony OS. The, the idea behind this is it could potentially be an Android replacement if, um, as you mentioned earlier, if Google is forced to remove um, Huawei's Android license again, um, or it m- more likely will appear on smartwatches and smart TVs, that kind of thing. Um, it was previously known as Hongmeng OS and Arc OS. And Catchy names. Yes, indeed, that have been that have been banded about over the last few months. Um, but the, the rumours are that it's actually been working on this for as much as, much as seven years. So it uh, it could potentially um, you know be quite big for the company. However, we think um, that Android is going to appear on uh, on Huawei devices for the foreseeable future in terms of in terms of smartphones. Um, so this is this is primarily going to be for other devices. So do we think this is going to be an and- a variant of Android or have they started from scratch and, and trying to build their own complete system? They've started from scratch. So the way Android works is um, it's the, 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 the Android we know and love is, is Google approved and Google licensed and um, it uses the Google Play Store and uh, you can download Google Apps. Um, there's also a version of Android called the Android Open Source Project, which basically anyone can use. Open source code, anyone can can build other other blocks onto it, um, or do whatever they want. And that's what we were expecting Huawei to have used for this OS. However, it hasn't. It started all over again. Um, and probably the reason for that is that it um, it, it can give other people access to it. It, it again it's being open source so um you know potentially a company like samsung whoever could could do a device based on it and i suppose because it's that because it's they've started from scratch it means that they can probably better tune it towards their devices but also as you said with smartwatches and tvs and and, and things like that there, there is a multiple multitude of options available rather than trying to shoehorn something that wasn't necessarily designed, like Android wasn't necessarily designed for smartwatches. So you're not having to worry about those complications to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I always talked a bit about the developer co- at the developer conference 
about the sort of seamless move of information between devices. Obviously, we, we see a bit of that with, say, Apple devices, with things like AirDrop um, or between different Windows devices. But we don't really see it um, in quite the same way between um, devices of all types, between smart TVs and, and smartwatches, for example. So that's what Huawei is talking about. So it's it's it's, it's obviously partly going to tie into their, their mobile phone ecosystem. And that's going to be quite interesting to see how that how that does tie in. Um, but um, yeah, for the, for the foreseeable, it's going to be things like smart TVs. Obviously, it's smart TVs, smartwatches first. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's a smaller ecosystem. You're not necessarily worrying about apps uh, as such to begin with, because of, of you know, if you put it on a phone, obviously everybody wants just you know the, the app straight away. Do you do you see this appearing on phones? I mean, if you're a current P30 user and loving it, P30 Pro user or whatever, are you are you suddenly going to have uh, wake up one morning to say, "Hi, here's the new operating system you've got to download," or, or is it not that simple? Well, I mean, Huawei was has been quite clear. Um, in fact, the interview that um, that we we did with um, uh, Huawei's Richard Yu, the CEO of of, of their consumer division, um, he was quite clear that if if it does all go south with with Google on Android phone on uh, Huawei's Android phones, then they will switch over to this OS. So it's perfectly capable of of being that that operating system, um, and it would have its own app store. Um, but uh, you know, and, and there are a few rumours that w- one variant of the upcoming Mate Thirty series could be based on it. Um, but that would most likely be only in China and probably only a small ro- rollout, really. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think it would always prefer to use Android just because it's it's so widely accepted. And I suppose you've it's, the problem is, isn't it really? And this is the problem things like BlackBerry and Palm and all those guys have had in the past is that unless you've got the popular apps, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Twitters, you know, etc., supported on the operating system and a way to do that then no matter how much internal stuff you've got to offer people they always want those sort of third party you know you want the airbnb app you want the the sort of you know your favorite games and and stuff and that's relying on other developers to be able to do that isn't it yeah absolutely and you know when we when we look at it like that i mean that's you know lack of app support is what killed windows phone really so you know an os like that which is backed by one of the world's biggest software companies wasn't successful because of the lack of app support and you know we have seen it hit windows 10 a bit as well that actually there there just aren't enough um decent apps on the on the windows 10 app store um and you know other companies like samsung with barda for example they tried to do their own os and they they had some success but it didn't really work and didn't gain any traction so um you know it's it, it's a definite um it's a definite drawback to huawei going oh we're going to switch over to this new os but i do think it's one one of the interesting things to come out and perhaps one of those scenarios which the us government when they put them on the entity list in an attempt to try and shake things up as part of of the of the bigger china uh, us trade war was that in theory if this works for huawei then all of a sudden android isn't necessarily the leading operating system on a phone i mean you know huawei is a very big phone publisher you know producer uh if it open sources this and gets support from say like oppo or xiaomi or something along like that those lines then all of a sudden that's that's a lot of devices google isn't on which you know 
I wonder what the ramifications of that will be. Yeah, there's potential for that, I guess. Um, the one of the things that Google complained to the U.S. government over the over the blacklist Hawaii, Huawei's blacklisting was that if Huawei moved to a different OS than Android, it would actually have security implications for um, specifically the U.S. but obviously other countries as well because um, there wouldn't be that control over 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 the software. So there there are other implications implications there. I think, um, you know, really, uh, the US government has failed in its its attempts to sort of black blacklist Huawei because although officially it's still on the list, um, you know, for example, Huawei device had just been added back to the um, Android Enterprise list um, that's available online. You know, that the Google Google is is um, re embracing Huawei devices. In a sort of more short term scenario, the company also announced details of EMUI. Now, this is the skin, the sort of the look and feel that they place on top of Android. That's obviously going to be coming to P, the P range devices, I think. Basically, anything that's Android Q, is that right? Yeah, so Android Q and EMUI 10 are, are the same thing in terms of Huawei devices, really. Um, we'll see Android Q announced for devices like the Pixel in the the, the coming couple of weeks, we think, um, and then after that, it will, this this new interface for Huawei devices will roll out. Um, yes, it will come to the P30 series first um, uh, in, in early September. Um, then it's going to come to the Mate 30 series, which we're going to uh, have announced, we think, mid September, but possibly could be early October. And um, that'll be the Mate 30 um, Lite pro and standard mate 30 um there could potentially be a large screen or 5g variant as well but certainly it's gonna um it's gonna roll out to those devices and also um android huawei and honor devices in the last couple of years it basically um brings a bit of a fresher user interface um things like dark mode um a, a new notifications um so various various enhancements mostly on the design front um, and mostly reflective of what's actually in Android Q. So we'll, we'll, we'll start to see that in a, in a month's time, approximately. And probably the final, the final announcement, which I thought was very interesting, was from Huawei's sister company. And really, the mainly the only hardware that was announced uh, at the conference was from Honor, which was the, the Vision TV. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, it's quite a quite a departure, really, for 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 Honor as a brand because they, up until now, they've really, you know, played second fiddle in a way to to Huawei's phones. Um, they're they're obviously a big brand um, in, in China, and they are becoming a big brand here as well. You know, their 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 phones are obviously ranged by by various networks in the UK. Um, and it's you know it's 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 only going to grow. But I mean, in terms of in in terms of a, a TV, it's 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 essentially they're pitching it as a as more of a smart screen than a traditional TV. So, do you think the likes of Panasonic, Sony, and LG should be worried? I think it depends on whether they can upsell it from their phones. I mean, it's obviously you know there'll be a certain there'll be a certain um, section of the of the potential audience for for a smart screen or a TV that um, have an Honor or Huawei phone and um, and and would would buy another device from from those manufacturers. We're also going to see a, a OnePlus TV in the the coming weeks, um, and that's it's actually going to be called OnePlus TV. Um, so that's going to be quite an interesting development as well. I think you know for those um, the, the the younger audience that Honor likes to target. 
um, selling them a, 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 a smart device for their home, a smart smart screen, it does make logical sense because we're seeing a whole um, whole raft, a whole a whole segment of the of 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 the youth and 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 uh, sort of millennial audience that actually don't have TVs in the traditional sense because they they're used to using uh, a, a phone um, and sometimes a tablet. Still to come, Mike talks us through the best handsets to buy if you want to go 5G. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot more. I think, you know, any maker is going to be scrambling to get 5G uh, handsets into its range because it's what people are talking about, it's what people want, and in a couple of years it will just be the norm. But you've got to get in there and get involved, basically. After more than five years with only a remastered collection released in the interim, a new Borderlands game is finally on the horizon. But is the game going to offer fans what they want? Earlier this summer, Rick, Pocalint's resident gaming expert, flew to Los Angeles in the US to interview Anthony Nicholson, senior producer at Gearbox Software, at a very noisy preview event to talk to him about the company's latest efforts, Borderlands 3. Um, first up, the biggest thing for me is that you finally get to travel off, off world. Was that, was that a scheme quite early in production that you really wanted to expand the universe? So, I'm not sure exactly how that came about, but I know as soon as it caught traction, everybody was on board. Pandora's a great place. We explore it a lot in in Borderlands 3, but we knew that um, being able to take what we know and what Gearbox does and apply that to different environments would be really interesting and really awesome, and it's been great to, to see it all come together. And with that expansion, um, it obviously takes Borderlands in a new direction, but one thing that um, I've realised whilst playing it, certainly, it's very familiar. Yes. It still feels, and as soon as you start playing, it feels very, very familiar right. for Borderlands players. Um, was that a very important thing for Gearbox to do? Absolutely. Uh, we, don't, we don't want uh, to lose where we come from. You know, uh, Borderlands is, a, is an awesome series. It's been built on a great foundation. And what we wanted to do with that is take it and then expand on the breadth and the depth of, of what we can do with the different gameplay mechanics. And so we've just added um, more of what you love, but a lot of different things in, in those different areas. Um, and also the humor is very, very throughout, mm-hmm. constantly, as it is a Borderlands game. Um, and do you think um, that in the in the interim between Borderlands, well, it's pre-sequel, wasn't it? That yes. came out next, and now, and now Borderlands 3, that there's been a somewhat of a lacking in humour in gaming quite a lot um, and it's great that you brought it back yeah we our writing staff is amazing you know we have both of our, our co-lead writers um, they go back and forth and, and really understand what it is to, to make a Borderlands game and um, the humour is important and we want to make sure that people enjoy it and then like I said you know that's, that's also uh, part of our DNA in making a Borderlands game is not only awesome gameplay and combat environments but we also want to, to, to make you laugh and suffer a little bit along the way and kind of poke fun at things. I also wanted to talk about gaming in general just as a, as a get a couple of your takes as um, the games industry and this is this is great for a game like Borderlands 3 that, that there could be more scope for a wider generation of gamers now right. because we're the games industry itself seems to be moving quite quickly into new formats um, specifically cloud gaming is another new thing. Is Gearbox interested and excited about things like Stadia and xCloud and all the other gaming platforms that might actually expand? 
being a developer, I want to be able to reach as many people as possible. And, and at Gearbox, you know, one of the, the goals that we have for ourselves is to entertain the world, right? And a great way to do that is putting it to where there's multiple ways to do it. There's a lot of people playing on phones now. Um, there's a lot of people that are playing uh, these different web browsing things. And so I think it'll make it to where there's more people playing games and you know, we can just make a, a gamer's universe. Um, in terms of the Borderlands franchise, um, and obviously we ha we've had a, we had the spin-off of Telltale Games, um, is there more to be done with the Borderlands franchise? Not, and I'm not talking about future games, I'm more talking about sort of like other offshoot stories and different things that could happen within the Borderlands universe. Oh yeah, I hope so. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things that um, we end up going through and thinking about and, and setting up you know, the narrative team. Uh, we have... Um, Somebody on our team that, that we would re refer to as kind of like the boar lord, like they know everything about <laughs> anything that has ever happened through all of the media that is that has been Borderlands canon, right? Um, and so, of course, you know, there's, there's different things that we look at and we'll see if we end up using things or, or going in different directions with that. I mean, could mobile be something you would think of in the future, for example? Um, it's a big old casual players market, certainly for our audience. Oh, I think anything's possible. Yeah. Um, back to back to the actual game itself. The other thing that I think Borderlands fans are very, very keen about is the fact that there are so many weapons in the game. Yes. And, and that has been expanded on greatly. Yes. Um, is that such a key element to to focus people on onto um, not just the story, but all these great loot? It's a fantastic loot. Well, yeah, I think it's a big one, right? Um, like I said about expanding on what we already know and what our what our foundation is, um, we wanted in this game to be able to take what you recognize and take what the fans really love about guns and just kind of continue to just duplicate and replicate that across the vast majority of things. You just saw um, you know, three specific TDR weapons that all did completely different things. Yeah. And there's many, many more just in that manufacturer. We've done that across everything else because that is part of you know, what makes Borderlands so enjoyable for people. Um, and it allows you to interact with the combat and do different fun things like you saw as well. Is it also quite important in an industry now that seems to be obsessed with microtransactions to have a game that is giving you so much loot and it's free? It's part of the game. Yeah, it, that is part of the game. You know, dropping loot. Knocking out bad guys, finding things, finding hidden, you know, like the rare chests and different things like that. Um, that's a big deal for us. And we really care more about um, how you, as a player, are playing throughout the game that you have. And for that, you've also got the single player and the co-op. That's right. Um, and are those two very key elements for you to um, explore further? I really do like the idea of the, um, what was it, the loot, the loot instancing? Instancing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, absolutely. That seems like a well, great idea. Exactly, and I think you kind of answered your own question right there. Because <laughs> if we're going to have co-op people, we added loot instancing to make it more enjoyable for a co-op person. So that if somebody is a little bit behind, or you're just kind of playing for 24 hours a day, not everyone can do that. But whenever your levels are different, then you jump into the game, and the experience feels the same. It's not any harder for you, or any easier for your friend. So it's great for both newbies and, and, and experienced players alike. But of course you kept in the classic mode just in case people want to... If you to, want to be a loot yeah, adventure, you can do that. To be led, led around <laughs> by right. someone way more, way more skilled. Um, the, the other sort of like 
element to it is we're coming towards the end of a, well, not the end of a console generation, but we're coming towards the, heart, the sort of like the peak of a console generation, if you like. Um, is um, Borderlands 3 uh, 4K on the on the relevant machines? Yeah, it'll be 4K HDR on Xbox One, PS12. Um, so yeah. And is the time right uh, for people at home to actually have the technology to play it really in those yeah, so. formats? Because I think it's about time for me to get a 4K HDR <laughs> TV. Actually, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this game is kind of pushing me in that direction. So we'll see. And do you think that um, 4K HDR is genuinely the way that people should experience this game, or is there, you know, is it just as fantastic scalable? Yeah, honestly, I think it's it's whatever suits your preference. You know, um, it it looks great in 4K and it looks great on the other consoles and, and whatever your PC is running as well. 5G is here, as the advertising slogan tells us, but what if you want to go 5G? Who is making 5G smartphones and what's the best phone to use out there of the ones available? Mike, Pocket Reviews Editor, has joined me to discuss all this and more, having tested pretty much all the phones available, to tell me his top three 5G smartphones to buy. So, Mike, tell us more. Hey. Um, so, well, the first thing, 5G is sort of here you know it's um it's rolled out from in the uk two carriers um vodafone and ee there's more coming um but it's a bit restricted on where you can get it so london and a bunch of other cities like manchester have started to roll it out so you can get access to it but it's in very specific kind of spots so if you have a 5g phone you might see a sudden spike in connectivity speed which is great but it's not going to be consistent, not yet. So if you're interested in 5G because you want low latency and all the extra speed that it's going to offer you, just take it with a pinch of salt for now because it's going to get better and better and better as time goes on, effectively. And so with that in mind, and bearing the fact that I presume the five, the three phones you're going to tell us about are going to be great phones regardless of the 5G element, Yeah. What do, what do we, where do we go from here? Um. Well, there's, there's a bunch of good phones. So at the minute, there's probably five sort of solid ones. Um, Xiaomi makes the Mi Mix 3, um, and Huawei makes the Mate 20X, both of which are available in 5G variants. And then there's three others that I will talk about that I think are more worthy of, of recommending for different reasons. So number three? So Oppo, which is a big Chinese manufacturer, um, it makes what it just calls the... Reno 5G. Um, it's a little bit confusing because there is an Oppo Reno 10X as well. Um, the 10X refers to a 10 times zoom that it has uh, in its cameras. Um, the 5G version is literally the same phone, but it has 5G connectivity. So the reason that this is interesting is as a phone, it's just pretty decent. It's got a decent range of um, cameras and that makes it stand out in a different way compared to what else is available that also has 5G. And as you said earlier, if you're buying a 5G phone, sure, you want the connectivity, but you also want a decent phone that's got, you know, different features that, that stand out and make you want to have it when you can't connect to those speeds. So on the cameras front, Oppo at the moment makes, I think, probably the most interesting in, in that regard. So a bit of a new player in, in the UK and, and Europe, but one to certainly watch out for, and we've been quite impressed with what they've done so far. But as you say, you get a, you get a really good camera a decent phone along with you know and the benefit of 5g when you can use it so at number two number two um 
I'm sort of thinking in my head which which ones to go for. I think the second place for me is probably the OnePlus 7 Pro, also in its 5G variant. Um, OnePlus has been, you know, making waves over the last few years. Um, the, the 7 Pro is kind of, again, it's just a really great phone. It's got some interesting features like a faster refresh rate on its screen, which just makes everything look that much smoother. Um, again, pretty decent cameras, but it doesn't have quite the same complexity as the Oppo perhaps and various reviews criticized it a little bit when it first came out for its camera not being quite as amazing as it could have been um, but as a solid phone it's just a really decent device it's quite big though so and this is actually a theme across 5g all these devices are pretty pretty chunky they're quite heavy um, and it's kind of something you're just going to have to accept I believe part of it will be because the the chips in there need need space for cooling you don't want them to get too hot and when you are connected on 5G networks, you will probably notice more heat kicking out the back of these of these things. Um, but OnePlus, again, solid, solid device. Um, just does everything you need it to do and in a really kind of adept way. Um, some may argue it's the best one, but I've got a different option for that. And so what is the best option? If you were going to go 5G right now, you need to get it. What phone are you going to go and get? So it's the Samsung. The Samsung... S10 5G. Um, now this year, 2019, Samsung has kind of released a lot of um, a lot of phones. Yeah. So normally S10, you get one or two variants. This year, we've got four. Um, there's a sort of baby one, which is called the E, um, the normal standard S10. Then there's an S10 Plus, and the 5G version is different to all of those. So it's actually it's almost like an S10 Plus Plus. It's big. It's got a 6.7-inch screen. It's pretty massive. Wow. Again, it's it's heavy, it's big, but it's not quite as heavy as, as the other ones mentioned. So that's kind of part of what makes this one more appealing. It's a great phone. It's got really, again, interesting features in that it's got lots of cameras on the back. It's got um, two on the front with a 3D depth sensor that can also do AR measurements as well. Um, so it's kind of, it's the feature packed S10. Samsung's taken it a bit differently. They've not just rebadged a current handset with 5G. It's, it's gone all out, giving you everything you could want. And it just, again, it just makes for, you know, a really, really decent handset that does everything you need. It's super fast. You get great connectivity, looks good. Um, and it just sort of feels a bit more natural, I think, to use than the other ones, um, just by a whisker, you know, and, and people may argue that the OnePlus is the option, but I think, the Samsung is kind of the all-rounder. Do we think that it's worth waiting for something else to come around the corner? I know it's always a case of, you know, the train is constantly moving and you get on the carriage, you'll eventually get there. And you'll, sometimes you'll get there a little bit earlier and what have you. But is there something that's just about to launch that you think, if you're going to buy something, wait a month, maybe wait two months, Yeah. maybe wait six months? If you, if you listen to this, I don't know, three weeks late or something or, or five weeks late, it's probably completely changed. And that's that's the kind of speed at which companies are interested in 5G, at which handsets are coming out. Um, like I say, it's a very early technology. Um, we're waiting for connectivity to improve in various places. So it's always going to get better, but also so are the handsets. So as much as I picked the Samsung as the best one, again, it kind of undoes itself because Samsung has also announced the Note 10, also in a 5G variant, um, which is... The same price it's neater tidier looking it doesn't have a massive uh, punch hole camera 
section on the front in the same fashion as the S10 does. Um, you get an S Pen stylus with it, which you may or may not want to use, but for the same price, it doesn't really matter. Um, so ultimately, Samsung announced the, the S10 I've talked about previously quite a while ago. You know, we're talking April, but because the way the networks have rolled out in this country, it's taken a while to kind of catch up. So it's kind of almost shot itself in the foot by having a better handset that's imminent that you should definitely wait for if you're thinking of going down the Samsung route. And then I suppose come February, we've got we've got NWC again and, uh, and a whole raft of new phones all with 5G variants coming out there. So interesting times. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot more. I think, you know, any maker is going to be scrambling to get 5G uh, handsets into its range because it's what people are talking about. It's what people want. And in a couple of years, it will just be the norm. But you've got to get in there and get involved, basically. That's it for this week. If you've enjoyed the show, can you please give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform you're listening on? It really will help raise our profile and let others know you liked it too. Until next Friday, pip-pip. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 